What started with a virus so small your eyes couldn't see it. This is about providing a future for humanity. Wir schaffen das. The Commission has decided to fine Google 4.34 billion euros. Questo piano è, è l'occasione della vita. This is Europe's man on the moon moment. We are innovating here and we hope that you like it. L'Europe, d'une force commune d'intervention. Long live Europe. Long live Europe. Vive l'Europe. Welcome to Europe Calling, a series of podcasts brought to you by the European Commission, looking at the politics and policies of the Union today, with me, Stephen Jones. And me, Paul Anderson. It's good to be back with you, Stephen, after our short break. Thank you, Paul. Same here. Today, we're focusing on disability and diversity in society, in our communities, and in our workplaces. In case you didn't notice, we've just marked the International Day of People with Disabilities. And if you didn't notice, one reason may be that people with disabilities are often marginalised or forgotten and isolated within society. That's right, Paul, and never more true than during the pandemic. And life during and after the pandemic is the theme of this year's International Day. Spearheading Europe's drive to be a more diverse, equal and inclusive society is Helena Daly, Commissioner for Equality in the European Commission. Paul, give us the lowdown on her. Well, she's a former Minister for Social Dialogue, Consumer Affairs and Civil Liberties in her native Malta. She's also been, since her teenage years, a passionate advocate and campaigner on human rights, and, as we'll discover later, a huge fan of David Bowie. A warm welcome to you, Commissioner, and to you, our listeners, too. Commissioner, with reference to the fight for the rights of people with disabilities in the post-COVID era, I'm wondering how you concretely see policy changing in Europe for people with disabilities. The crisis has been particularly hard for the most discriminated and disadvantaged members of society. I'm thinking now of, of older people, those with disabilities, ethnic minorities, those forced to live in many instances in, in isolation and with insufficient access uh, to necessary basic social and healthcare services, as well as women and, and children and um, sexual and gender minorities that are increasingly becoming victims of uh, domestic violence. We said the pandemic has amplified the existing uh, obstacles and, and inequalities. And uh, of course, this brought about major consequences for people with disabilities. For instance, in certain member states, basic awareness campaigns on how to protect yourself and your family from COVID-19 were not accessible to persons with, with disabilities, for instance, the, the deaf and the blind people. So this put a spotlight on the weak spots in our health systems. So this is why, especially in the aftermath of the pandemic, it is essential to take resolute action so that persons with disabilities can enjoy their human rights and, and fundamental freedoms and participate in society and the economy on equal basis with, with others. Commissioner, I'd like to ask you about the EU platform of diversity charters that you're encouraging employers across the EU to sign up to. What's the need for them? What's the rationale behind them? 
societies that value this diversity are are happier and and benefit from this diversity so with each diversity initiative comes more progress more commitment and and more determination to to create this this union of equality and these charters really really help in embracing diversity and appreciating uh, diversity as a strength the opposite of this is discrimination the, the discriminating against people whom we consider to be different but that stifles the potential of people so what has been the response of people so far because you talked about the importance of society embracing diversity is society indeed embracing diversity to your satisfaction considering these charters the charters are helping but no not diversity is not embraced to my satisfaction there's still so much we need to do and that is why the charters are important the charters have been in place for more than 10 years now and today we have more than 12000 signatories representing over 16 million of employees all over the eu examples of good practices introduced by diversity charter signatories include for instance the implementation of flexible hours to to allow for better work life balance and increase in the recruitment of people with disabilities and investment in building up their skills and most importantly i would say that diversity uh, charters are a valuable asset in fighting discrimination and promoting equality at work and this gives a company the edge to attract uh, talents because they tell the world that they will uh, recognize and value them fairly Thank you commissioner and do please stay with us. Now, what's it like for people with disabilities in the workplace or seeking work, targeting a career or a sector where their disability could be a barrier? We're joined now by Muriel Bertrand, a Belgian woman who works in human resources and accounts and is deaf. So she's signing her answers to our questions by video to an interpreter, Aline, whose voice you'll be hearing. Muriel, thanks a lot for coming on the show. From your own experience, give us please an example of the kind of barriers people with disabilities face in the world of work. Many managers don't know what compensation payments are available for employing disabled people. And it's true that in the media, when we think about informing people about these payments, there's a lot of work to do here to make managers more aware of all these possibilities. Okay, so the media has a role in your view, but what can be done at a regulatory level to improve the position of people with disabilities? Je dirais que au niveau des services publics, you know, in public service organizations, there is an obligation to employ a minimum number of people with disabilities. 3% or thereabouts. So that's the situation in the public service. But this standard is not respected or obligatory in the private sector or in NGOs. And I think that obliging private companies and NGOs to recruit someone with a disability is important. Fundamentally, what's your message to the Europe calling community on this International Day of People with Disabilities? We are all human beings. We all want the same rights and the same possibilities. It's also important to consider that for deaf people, you don't see our disability. 
It's not obvious just by looking at us. Blind people, you notice their disability immediately. Same thing with a wheelchair user. But for deaf people, it's not obvious. But what I really want to say is that many deaf people have strong competencies in the workplace. Many thanks to you, Muriel, and to you, Aline, for your interpretation. Now, Commissioner Helena Daly, back to you. Independent living is a major issue for people with disabilities, and it's something that you've put at the heart of your mandate. What's your approach to this, and what can the Commission actually do? We are saying we want to move away from institutionalization. We want more community uh, living. So uh, we shall present the framework to improve service delivery for, for persons with disabilities. And next year, we will also issue uh, a care strategy to, to address both carers and, and care receivers um, from childcare to, um, to long-term care. Also, the, the commission will support national, regional and um, and local authorities in their efforts to provide the uh, conditions for independent living, including through funds uh, available under the recovery and resilience facility. Living conditions are one thing, but as we've just heard from Muriel, working conditions and opportunities are quite another. And whether you succeed or fail will ultimately tell us a lot about the kind of society Europe really is. There is considerable um, potential to increase employment amongst persons with disabilities. If you encourage the potential, if you help people reaching their uh, full potential, that is not only the moral argument of fairness and that everybody must get a chance in, in life. There's also the economic argument that member states will be using more talent. They're using more potential, which right now we are throwing away because we discriminate against people with with disabilities. Let's talk about a giant pillar in this commission's program, and that's the green transition and how it intersects with the lives of people with disabilities in their everyday reality. What are you hoping to achieve? The green transition offers a unique opportunity to rethink our living spaces and mobility to make them more inclusive and accessible. And in this way, to make society truly inclusive for everyone. So we really should take this opportunity, for instance, in in, in the context of renovations to improve the energy performance of buildings, accessibility barriers for persons with disabilities should be removed. So you you do that all in, in one go. Another example is investing in sustainable transport systems and infrastructure that at the same time take into consideration the needs of persons with disabilities. Thank you, Commissioner. We haven't quite finished with you yet, so please stay with us a bit longer. Paul, let's talk to Gordon Rattray now, who uses a powered wheelchair after suffering a spinal cord injury more than 20 years ago. Gordon is a Scot and works in the International Relations Department of the European Disability Forum. Not surprisingly, perhaps he has no complaint about conditions for people with disabilities at his workplace. But what, Gordon, have you seen elsewhere in your daily outside contacts? No matter how much your current employer um, removes the barriers, the direct barriers that you might face to carry out your job within all their powers, the minute you step out of that uh, zone and you start collaborating with other agencies who may not be as clued up about it, 
then, then you start to face those barriers all over again. Gordon, what is the most important practical change in workplace policies and practices you'd like to see? Physical accessibility, it's, it's steps everywhere you go. There are, there are steps and there are stairs and there are lifts that don't work and there are doors that are too narrow. Um, lots of physical uh, access barriers like this. But that's only talking about my very specific situation. Um, and obviously accessible bathrooms, I mean, this is a crucial one that people generally don't talk about, but to have to know that wherever you go for a meeting that there is going to be um, yeah, an accessible bathroom, an accessible toilet. I mean, this is crucial stuff, it's basic stuff. And when you drill down or, or when you actually pull it all together, maybe the most important thing to change um, is always attitude. It's, it's about having the people who have the power to make the changes um, realizing uh, a their obligations, their legal obligations to make the changes, and b the the big benefits that are there for them if they do make the changes. Then things start to happen. What policy making on workplace practices at a national or EU level would you like to see with regard to people with disabilities? If we're talking about policymakers at national and EU level, then we're talking at a fairly high level. And what they are obliged to do is to adhere to their obligations under the UN Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities, the CRPD. And Article 27 of the CRPD talks about work and employment. And it basically, you know, in its simplest form, it talks about applying equality and non-discrimination to all aspects of employment. And that can mean equal pay. It can mean equal access to vocational training, can mean career advancement, equal opportunities for promotion, for maintaining work, for returning to work. And what do you think the International Day of People with Disabilities should mean for society? When you've got a properly diverse workforce that reflects the diversity of society, everything works better. You know, companies perform better, organisations are, are better places to work. Many thanks, Gordon Rattray, for taking the time to talk to us. Commissioner, we have a few more questions and then we will genuinely let you go. Over to you, Paul, and go easy. I will do my best, Stephen. Commissioner, we've been talking about your views on disability and diversity in a modern Europe and your targets as Commissioner for Equality. Now we like a bit of a personal insight, the woman behind the title, if you like. The next questions that we're going to put don't need necessarily long answers, just first reactions, yes or no even. So here we go. Do you miss being an MP in Malta, your home country? No, but I miss being a minister, <laughs> not an MP. Has enough attention been paid to children's mental health during and after COVID? No, not only to, to children's mental health, even to the mental health of adults. In fact, we are speaking about it now when we are seeing a lot of depression, a lot of suicide attempts. So that's a reflection that we did not pay enough attention. In a word, okay, maybe just a few, what inspires your engagement in human rights? Justice, injustice, discrimination that I see around me. And um, I've, I've always, since I was 16 years old, I've always been intrigued by this or by the, the treatment which people have because they are perceived to be uh, different. And that is the reason why I entered politics. What's your favourite book of all time? To Kill a Mockingbird by Harper Lee. And what's your bedtime reading at the moment? I'm not talking about 
policy papers or college meeting minutes. <laughs> yes, that's quite exhausting. I'm, I'm reading a, a very good book right now called Sorrow and Bliss by, by Meg Mason. It's, it's how humor can be used to mask one's sad reality. It's, it's, it's a you know, psychological, philosophical it's, it's, I'm enjoying it. And the music you wind down to? <laughs> well, it depends on my mood. <laughs> I can go from, I don't know, Rolling Stones, David Bowie, and, um, you know, that, that I like that kind of music, but it depends a lot on my mood. Pink Floyd, I like a lot. And I like Queen, and, you know, so. <laughs> okay, so whose portfolio in the commission would you like if you didn't have yours? European Green Deal. Timmermans portfolio. And does he know that? Well, I think he knows. <laughs> Commissioner, thanks very much indeed for running through a few of your favourite things and themes. It's been a pleasure to have you on Europe Calling. So thanks for joining us. Thank you. Well, that's it from us now. We'll be back early in the new year with another edition of Europe Calling, profiling another commissioner, their work, their views and their passions. You can tune in to previous editions on the DGCom website and all good podcast platforms. And this edition will also be available with subtitles and sign language interpretation on the Commission's YouTube page. For now, enjoy the run-up to the festive season from all of us on the team, me, Stephen Jones. And me, Paul Anderson. Goodbye. What started with a virus so small your eyes couldn't see it. This is about... Providing a future for humanity. You're shopping us. The Commission has decided to fine Google 4.34 billion euros. Questo piano è l'occasione della vita. This is Europe's man on the moon moment. We are innovating here and we hope that you like it. L'Europe, d'une force commune d'intervention. Long live Europe. Long live Europe. Vive l'Europe.